everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fred Hampton Interviews. Still setting up some of the stuff here. Let me get the camera working. Welcome, it's been a long time. about, and whether you're listening to this live or later on, I want to make sure you're having a good time and enjoying your stay here at the Fred Hampton Institute. We will get to gay space communism eventually, folks. It's a matter of time, not a matter of if. Well, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Good to have you. Glad that you decided to come back to class. We had a week off where uh, your boy got sick, had to do a little bit of healing, and then did a bunch of travel and was out of town and had a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So uh, it's good to be back. Always love doing this. Love being here. Uh, Love being alive, baby. It is a fun life even if it's a hard one. And speaking of a hard life, one thing that's particularly hard in this life is being informed. If you are just starting your journey into the uh, political, whatever the fuck we call this, um, sphere, uh, consciousness, mm, salad, Whatever your, whatever path has brought you here, um, you might notice at this point, or maybe you don't, that uh, finding accurate information about what's actually going on in the world is actually very difficult. You might notice that a lot of stories that you would think should get coverage in the mainstream media, on MSNBC, on Fox News, on CNN, but even on like the New York Times or in uh, the Washington Post or in the uh, all these other newspapers, USA Today, Chicago Tribune, whatever. You might think that there are a bunch of stories or you might hear something that's going on that's just not being covered. And the question is, why is that? Why is it that so many stories, which could be big, which could be uh, super important and could affect the world in some big ways, why aren't they covered? We're going to talk about that a little bit today, and we're going to talk about what you can do about it to figure out where these stories are, 
to figure out why it is that so many big stories just are not covered in mainstream media or a lot of media to begin with. Why a lot of narratives are just not put out there and why it's so difficult to find accurate information. So we're going to delve into something today, which uh, is a model for media, uh, a model for interpreting media, a model to explain why this problem continues to happen in American media in particular. And the model is called the propaganda model. Now, this model was developed by um, a man named Edward Herman, or two people, actually, one named Edward Herman, who is a renowned uh, media scholar, and another man named uh, Noam Chomsky, who is a prominent linguist, philosopher, and apparently a homie of Jeffrey Epstein, which <laughs> I didn't see that one coming, folks. That's pretty fucking crazy. Um, who knows? I don't know what all the details are there, but honestly, the scholarship is good, so we're sticking with it. But this model, the propaganda model, was developed by Noam Chomsky and Edward Herman. And the key components of this theory and its implications are what we're going to be going over. Uh, and it is a model for understanding why there is media bias why there's manipulation, and why so many bigger stories, so many stories which really matter, get filtered out before you can even have the chance to uh, be exposed to them. So why is that? So let's, let me sort of set the stage here. The propaganda model, at its core, is a model to explain how media institutions operate within a capitalist society. And it, it, the model really highlights the ways in which these media institutions shape and manipulate information to serve the interests of those in power. Now, what do we mean by those in power? Well, it's twofold. One, we mean, uh, first and foremost, uh, power as you would imagine it, right? The politicians the political uh, elitist class, uh, those kinds of mainstream mover and shakers of our society. That's the first people that this propaganda model really serves. But the second, really, and really the more important one in so many ways are uh, the corporations and the moneyed interests who fund the media, who control the media both directly and indirectly. Um, so according to the propaganda model and Chomsky and Herman, the mainstream media are not neutral. They're not neutral conveyors of some kind of objective truth. Instead, they are agents influenced by structural biases. So what does all that mean? Uh, they're not putting out news with the, <coughs> excuse me, the purpose of informing you. Not really, that's secondary. Their primary function, whether knowingly or unknowingly, is to serve the interests of power. Now, if that news that they're putting out ends up serving the interests of power, that's great. But if it doesn't, then those people putting out the news are no longer gonna be in positions to where they can put out that news, right? Uh, if you're putting out negative stories about uh, powerful people, 
people whose interests are served by the current capitalist society and more than just people's interests, but institutions' interests, corporations' interests, which are served by the continuation of our ongoing capitalist society, then you can't put that news out there. And if you do, you're no longer working for any of those papers. You're no longer working as part of that media system. So the propaganda model is best understood as being uh, made up of five different components here. There are five filters that operate within our media system. And the first filter is what's called concentrated ownership. Now, this is probably the easiest one for all of us to understand, right? None of us really have to do much explaining on this one. Uh, concentrated ownership is what we see in today's media landscape, right? A small number of people... <coughs> And uh, yes, Sally, we're going through Chomsky uh, today. This is a propaganda model today. So um, the first element here is uh, the concentration of media ownership. And uh, in today's media landscape, uh, a small number of conglomerates and people control a vast majority of media outlets, which we rely on for news and information, right? So this concentration of ownership uh, Chomsky and Herman argue, creates a homogenized media environment that prioritizes profit over the public interest. So as media companies become beholden to this small conglomerate that owns and operates all of the media, one, it has a homogenization effect just on the messages that are allowed to get out there. Right. And what I what do I mean by that? Let me use some some like words that don't sound fucking ridiculous. Right. Um, if one person or Kanye, no one man should have all that power. That's all we're talking about. And if one man or a group of corporations, a small group owns all the media, then they get to determine what gets put out on that media. So if I own Fox News and I don't want to see something on Fox News. It's not getting on Fox News. If I own MSNBC and I don't want to see something on MSNBC, it's not getting on MSNBC. Doesn't matter if it's important. Doesn't matter if it's a super crucial story for people to know. It's not fucking getting there because I own it and I don't like that story. So that's the first part of the theory. The first element of the propaganda model is the homogenization of media through the concentration of media ownership. Only a few people own all the media. And those are the people who get to determine what stories get put up and what stories don't. And you can imagine a lot of the stories that they put up end up being things that, uh, you know, uh, either reflect well on the media themselves or uh, sort of, do not put them or frame them or their friends in a bad light. So that's a pretty big problem, right? So the second component of the propaganda model is advertising revenue. So in a capitalist system, media outlets rely heavily on advertising as a source of income. And it's not just 
mainstream news. I mean, you can see YouTube. Uh, if you've been on YouTube lately in the last year and a half, two years, three, you've noticed more and more ads just keep piling up, piling up, piling up, piling up. Well, those ads are a huge source of income for the owners, right? The reliance on advertising dollars to make money from your news station results in a situation to where you begin creating incentives for your news station or putting out news stories that are not going to that are not just going to attract trying to attract more advertisers but are going to try to not push other advertisers away so what does that mean well what that means is say you have an advertiser who um the i don't know let's just say it's some company acme incorporated acme incorporated wants to advertise on your news network and what acme incorporated does is they uh give you a bunch of money to keep advertising on that news network but the owner of acme incorporated uh really hates i don't know grizzly bears fucking hates them and thinks that they suck ass. Now, if your news network is getting advertiser dollars from the corporate head of Acme, and let's say a reporter comes to you with an important story about the conservation of grizzly bears, how their numbers are thinning, how they're dying out, how environmental destruction is going to lead to the extinction of grizzly bears. Now, if you put that story on on your news network, how do you think Acme is going to respond? Do you think they're going to keep putting advertisements up on your news network? No. They're going to say, fuck you, fuck grizzly bears, and leave. And suddenly, because your news network relies on advertising dollars to pay everybody to make money, you find yourself in a, a pretty untenable situation. Oh, shit. I shouldn't have ran that grizzly bear story because I need to make fucking money from the advertisers, and now that I can't, my news network's going to collapse. So, not only are you getting the filtering process from the people who own the news networks, but you're also getting the filtering process from the advertisers who are the source of income for that news network that you run. So consequently, media organizations uh, tend to shy away from critical reporting or investigative journalism that could potentially, potentially alienate advertisers or jeopardize revenue streams. And as a result, certain topics or perspectives are just, well, certain topics and perspectives that challenge the status quo uh, might be marginalized or ignored altogether. So again, we already have two filtering processes here, which result in <clears throat> infiltrating the media and the stories they're allowed to put out, uh, basically like restricting the stories that they're allowed to put out um, in ways that they won't put out anything that's going to challenge advertisers or that's going to challenge owners. So already you're catering to moneyed interests. So good luck finding good class politics being reported in the media. It's rarely going to happen, right? Because those advertisers, 
nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, actually, um, the companies they work for also rely on cheap or the companies, their companies also rely on cheap labor and exploitation, as does the ownership class. So the third aspect of the propaganda model, the third filtering source, uh, because we've talked about, again, ownership and advertisers. So the third filtering source here is that journalists often rely on official sources such as government officials, uh, corporate spokespersons to gather information for their stories. And these sources have their own interests and agendas. So are they more likely to provide information that aligns with those interests? If you rely on spokespeople, if you rely on access journalism, right? As it's typically called. If you rely on sources which have their own agendas that they need to put out and your story needs them in order to, uh, needs to information from them in order to have a story at all, uh, you can't piss those guys off. So this third filter is what we commonly call today access journalism, right? If you're on Twitter, if you're on online anywhere, plenty of critiques of something called access journalism. You know, Ryan Grimm comes to mind, even though I think he gets a lot of shit, but he is, he is uh, uh, admittedly uh, guilty of this to some extent too, right? Why won't he overly criticize the squad members when he's talking to the squad members and they're interviewing AOC? Well, if he gets too critical, AOC will stop talking to him. So even if AOC was doing something really, really bad, even if AOC was doing something that was, uh, I don't know, like bad for the working class, even if she was lying about something, Ryan Grimm, if he wants to keep access to her, better shut the fuck up and not say it. Now, he's not the worst offender. The worst offender is literally everyone else, right? The idea that our press, we have a free press, is a bit of a joke, honestly. It's, it's kind of bullshit. It's dumb. Like, if all of my information relies on, uh, let's say, you know, like the information going into this, this war in Ukraine, right? I need access to my Pentagon sources. I need access to my sources in the White House. If I criticize their policy too much, I lose access. And I think a good example of this in a lot of ways is Matt Taibbi. Now, Matt Taibbi is a very interesting guy. Um, I, I, he's done a lot of really good investigative journalist, journalist, uh, good investigative journalism. He's done a lot of good work. And back in, oh, I don't know, 2008, maybe, Matt Taibbi, uh, who at the time was working for the Rolling Stone, or at least publishing articles in the Rolling Stone, published an article about, uh, who was it? Was it General Petraeus? I believe it was General Petraeus. Let me see.
What was it? Hmm. I don't know if it was Petraeus. <coughs> Excuse me. But the point is this. Matt Taibbi published an article in the Rolling Stone about the person uh, he had been spending a lot of time with the general who was in charge of the war in Iraq for America at the time. And that guy, that general was just over beers and everything. All this time he had spent with Matt Taibbi, he was talking mad shit about Obama. Oh, Obama's fucking this whole thing up. Obama this, Obama that. It's Obama's fault, yada, yada, yada. Which, to be fair, uh, plenty of that war lies on Obama's shoulders. He didn't start it, but he sure as hell did not finish it. But um, when Matt published this article, the general was fired. Something that you want from journalism, right? You do this investigative report on something and a consequence happens because of that investigative report. But where's Matt Taibbi been? I don't think he ever had access to another general again after that. I don't think he was exactly invited back into those political circles to speak with those sources anymore. It was one and done. He no longer had access to those sources of information and him as someone whose salary, as someone whose livelihood depends on him investigating things. Turns out people don't want to pay for Power doesn't want to pay for you to undermine it. Why would it? If I'm a billionaire, why would I want to pay you to expose me for how much of a fraud I am? I want to do that. That's not how it works. So why do I bring up Matt Taibbi? Because after that report that he made, which led to the general being fired by Obama, and which kind of made Taibbi a little kind of extradited him away from those circles. Uh, he no longer had access to those circles of information anymore. So what did he do? Started his sub stack, started doing independent reporting and he did well because he's a good reporter, but then the Twitter files comes up and with the Twitter files. Well, what do we see? I think there was a reluctance from Taibbi to report on certain things to potentially, I don't know, dig in places where he could have dug because he wanted to maintain access to those Twitter files. And there's a couple of interviews that he's done, which makes me believe this is the case, right? Um, he's mentioned multiple times that he didn't know how long Elon Musk was going to give him access to the files. He wanted to look into his one thing while he still had access. He didn't want to explore other things because he didn't want that access to be taken away. But here we are. That's one of the filters. Power will only let you go so far. If I'm paying you, if I'm giving you access to information, I'm not going to pay for you to undermine me. And if you do, you're out. That's the last story you're writing about us, buddy. And you could see this pattern happen over and over and over again. So when you ask, okay, so why aren't there these great investigative reporters at the New York Times or these other places. And there are some, I mean, they're, they're, you'll find them sporadically in these different news organizations, right? But when you really ask, why aren't they everywhere? Because no one's going to fucking, no powerful person is going to pay them to undermine themselves. It's ridiculous. No, uh, Joe Biden 
or Trump or any of these guys are not going to invite you into the White House press room if you're going to ask hard questions which make them look bad, even if they should be looking bad, even if the hard questions are needed to be asked. So the and and you got a salary to maintain. You got kids to feed. If you don't have access, what do you have? So that's the 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 third filter, right? So again, you can see we've already gone over the first two filters, but you can see how these filters are already insulating power and protecting power from real investigative journalism from real critique. And you can see it. And here's how it goes. Remember, the first the first layer of the propaganda model, the owners of the corporations and the newspapers themselves, right? You can't piss them off. You can't rock that boat or you're gone. And they only want to publish stories that are in their best interest. Second, the second filter of the propaganda model, the advertisers. Other businesses with whom the network relies on for their income, for money. You don't want to piss off the advertisers. You can't run anything that's going to make them squeamish. It's not going to happen. And if you try to publish stories that are anti-advertisers, that are against those companies, you're gone. The third, access. The access to the people and the sources that are inside. If you shake the boat there, you're gone. So the fourth filter is flack, is getting shit, getting shit on. So flack refers to negative responses or attacks from powerful individuals or organizations against media outlets or journalists who deviate from the dominant narrative. So let's say you do put yourself out on a limb, right? These attacks are coming for you. And they're coming in the form of lawsuits. They're coming in the form of threats or organized campaigns to discredit and intimidate journalists and to stop you from actually reporting on something that's going to be against the interests of power. So as a result, media organizations often shy away from controversial topics or critical reporting. And the best fucking example I can give you of this is Julian motherfucking Assange. Julian Assange, for like damn near 20 years now, has been living either in embassies or in jail. For what? For publishing a video of, of a helicopter during either the Iraq or Afghanistan war. They all mixed together because it was all such a shit show. But a helicopter killing a van full of civilians in that video, Collateral Murder. He published a real piece of journalism he didn't do the murder, mind you. He didn't go up in the helicopter or shoot those kids or shoot those people. He didn't do anything. He published something. No one was hurt from it, from the publishing of it. We were all informed, but power didn't like that. It undermined the morale of, the, of, of our war. It undermined uh, the... the it undermined George Bush or Barack Obama, whoever the fuck was in there. It doesn't matter because both of those motherfuckers are still pursuing charges against Assange. So did Trump. Trump failed to fucking drop the charges. And now here's Biden doing the same damn thing. And that's the thing with this fourth filter, this filter of flack. 
sometimes it comes in you know ways that are more bearable. You'll see the flack that Matt Taibbi gets. Oh, he's a Russian asset. He's a um, or Aaron Mate is an even better one. You know, people call him a Russian asset. How? How sway? How is he a Russian asset? Like because he's reporting on things that are critical because he's asking questions. And so, you know, before I go off on a whole fucking rant, flack can come in many forms, right? It can be uh, sort of being shunned by your fellow journalists, being shunned by, um, you know, being called a propagandist, which is ironic uh, because the people calling you that are typically either writing or uh, uh, regurgitating propaganda, uh, you could be called all kinds of things. You can be, you know, sometimes it's just names, name calling, right? And I think for Matt Taibbi, most of it's name calling for the most part. But sometimes flack, you have to understand, when you're attacking power, power has power. Power has real power here. So sometimes the flack is destroying your fucking life. Julian Assange no matter what happens with him, he will never be the same. He is fucked up forever, forever. No matter what happens to him, if they don't outright execute the guy, if they don't outright kill him. Edward Snowden is living in fucking Russia now. Because turns out when you actually do something that attacks powerful people, not powerful people, the power it's because I don't want you to think of it in terms of people. I want you to really think of this in terms of systems. When you attack the foundations of the system of power, especially a system that relies on misinforming people, on this propaganda model, on giving people the illusion that they're free, on giving people the illusion that that uh, they have free speech. When you attack that, when you actually truly attack the powerful, you better recognize they're going to fuck you up with the power that they have. That's the whole purpose of power, is that kind of control. Which is why we need to be more collectively on each other's sides for shit like this. Because they can't attack all of us. That's the beauty of it, right? It's, like, it's also why they try to drive us apart so much with all kinds of stupid fucking issues all the time. All the time, they don't want to get involved in material politics because they want us to fight over a fucking bathroom. And if you're fighting over that, I just want to let you know, they got you. If you're fighting over a bathroom or a book in a school, they got you. They got you. Now they can keep fucking you, for real. Because when you actually attack power, you end up in a fucking gulag in fucking Britain waiting to be extradited back to the United States for publishing a video of American soldiers killing civilians. That's your crime. That was your crime. So with Assange, that's the flack. So this fourth filter can be pretty fucking effective when it comes to the propaganda model. Flack can take many forms and it can, it can actually be fucking deadly. So if I know that in the back of my mind as a journalist, Maybe I'm not going to talk about whatever Julian Assange was talking about. <laughs> maybe I'm maybe I'm just going to chill. You know, I got a good salary. I 
I could talk about other things that I care about. So, and those are okay. So maybe I'll just talk about sports. Let's talk about the fucking Boston Celtics, which I actually do want to talk about though. Don't get me wrong. Like Miami Heat are fucking it up. They are killing it. But do you see how this can become a, like a, an absolutely uh, uh, just oppressive system for actually having good information out there for actually being well-informed for actually being able to report on the real news because you can't the filters are not there for it and then this fourth filter the flack you can get got and no one wants to get got not many it takes a special motherfucker to be willing to do that and even those who get who have gotten got uh, I don't think any of them really wanted to go like that. I don't think Malcolm X really wanted to go like that. He had a family. He had kids. He had a life that he loved and people he loved around him. And then he's gone. Martin Luther King Jr., I'm sure he wanted to see, he wanted to be there to continue to see his kids. Fred Hampton died in bed when he was shot in the head and murdered by the FBI and the Chicago police. That's just a fucking fact, right? But that's flack. It's a pretty effective system, right? This propaganda model. But we've gone over four of the filters, right? Media ownership, advertisers, sources, all who are filters themselves. And then flack, which is what happens if you actually say, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. The flack is coming. So what's the fifth filter? And this one I find interesting. And I'm sure you can generalize this filter a lot more nowadays, but I I do find this filter pretty interesting because the fifth filter is anti-communist ideology. Interesting. That's a new one. So Chomsky and Herman argue that the Cold War era, when they initially proposed the propaganda model, right? The Cold War War era heavily influenced media coverage. (coughs) Excuse me, still getting over that cold. But the media tends to produce and present a biased view against alternative political and economic systems, particularly those associated with socialism and communism. Now, why? All the other filters, right, seem to be, seem to be more associated with protecting sort of powerful interests who are already in the system, right? Protect the money, protect the money, protect the money and the power, uh, punish those who go against the power and the money. But this fifth one, why anti-communism and why anti-socialism? Why is there such a, uh, why is one of the filters this idea that they, the powered interests do not want to promote, but in fact want to denigrate alternative political systems? Well, think about it. Because if you have access, or if you start believing in these alternative political systems, if you have exposure to them, those alternative political systems undermine the very basis of their power. Right? 
You can't have people out here having positive associations with socialism if you want to keep on uh, exploiting them under a capitalist system. You can't have them know this shit. That's why they got so fucking up in, 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 in an uproar over this. Over, oh, we can't let people know about socialism. We can't let people know about communism. That's why they name call everyone, oh, are you a communist? Are you a communist? Without even ever, ever explaining what communism is, without having any interest in actually, uh, you know, informing people about what socialism is, because to inform you of those systems is to at least set you up on the journey to start questioning and undermining the philosophy that makes up capitalism, because you'll start to see the contradictions and they can't have that. So they denigrate it. It's why you even have Democrats in office like fucking Hakeem suck my dick Jeffries who will be out here putting out a, 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 a vote like this is a serious fucking vote that needs to happen. Putting up a vote that says America is a capitalist society and we denounce socialism and communism in all of its forms. And then you have fucking dumbasses in Congress who all vote for the damn thing. These fucking idiots. They're fucking dumb. Like, it's, what are you, like, the, they know who their masters are. They know that either they, either they know that if you know about socialism and you know about, you know, communism and these things, it's going to undermine their own power. Either they know that, they're smart enough to know that, or they don't know it and they've been fully propagandized themselves. They've already drank the Kool-Aid. It doesn't matter if they believe in it cynically or if they believe in it wholeheartedly. The fact of the matter is that the filtering system works the same. They will both end up writing for the New York Times or for a Reason Magazine. I mean, I'll do you one better, right? Shit like the Federalist Society. Like, the, these organizations only exist because real rich motherfuckers and corporations and all these things donate money to these societies so that these societies will keep writing propaganda. Do you think the Federalist Society, the Federalist or like Reason Magazine, so many of these papers, do you think they could independently exist off of just uh, funds from donors on some Bernie Sanders shit, right? Do you think the Federalist Society could really just continue to exist without mega donors? Because I don't think so. I don't think if you have some of these articles that they'll put out in the Federalist or whatever, or some of these stupid, like the right-wing papers are, are like the worst because it's clearly no one... It, you can just read the article and you think, oh, clearly no one fucking thinks this, right? Like when Steven Crowder put out that thing about like, I love my wife because we waited for marriage. And there was another couple that was on their honeymoon and they weren't as good as us because the the guy drank and got too drunk and probably couldn't get it up that night. And me and my wife fucked for the first time. Well, they're getting a divorce. <laughs> They're getting a divorce. Uh, he seems like a fucking crazy person around his wife. And uh, he wants forced monogamy and forced, like, uh, 
Uh, he wants to get rid of no fault marriage, divorce or no fault divorce. Like no one fucking wants that. No fucking rational, like normal motherfucker wants that. But money and interests, especially when it comes to certain narratives, will, especially some like the Federalist Society, are willing to lose a little money from their profits to gain a lot of clout for the propaganda that continues the perpetuation of the system. They need good little hamsters and hamster wheels who will keep putting out economic theories and books and academic writing that reinforce the system and the idea that capitalism is the greatest system of all time. And it's so weird to hear me say this because I'm not even like, I'm not even sure all of capitalism needs to, I'm not even that radical because I'm not even sure all of capitalism needs to go away. I'm not even sure that there's no place for markets. I'm not even, I'm not sure of a lot of things, right? But th- what I am sure about is how much capital and power is willing to go YOLO, fuck up everything else, and put out propaganda to protect and insulate itself from criticism. And I'm sorry, but if your system cannot stand up to critique, if it can't stand up to criticism, maybe you're fucking up. If your system is literally (laughs) maximizing shareholder value in the short term in order to, uh, I don't know, uh, at the expense of polluting the entire ecosystem, that sounds fucking stupid to me. That sounds so fucking dumb, bro. Like, what the fuck are you doing? But that's what it does. And that's how, that's, uh, here we are. Here we are. So, again, that fifth filter, the anti-communism, the anti-socialism, it's an important part because to know the underpinnings of those systems is to know how the current system that you live in is exploiting you and lying to you. If you have communist education or if you have like socialist, and you don't even need to be a socialist or communist, just being able to actually have exposure to alternative modes of like thought without them being denigrated better equips you to deal with the first four filters. Critical thinking is good actually is what I'm trying to say, but they can't have you think too critically because if you do, you start to notice the propaganda filters, the propaganda model. So the filters, why your media sucks, why mass media sucks, why certain things are not reported in mainstream news, why stories are squashed, silenced, framed in certain ways. Generally speaking, the basis with with which you can understand a lot of media as we go forward and as we kind of get more active into how to find better sources, how to read the news, yada, yada, as we go forward in this class, I really want you to really understand the basics first of this model. Because if you read every story that comes across any paper with this filter in mind, you'll be able to see through a lot of the bullshit. You'll get a lot better at it. And you'll be able to see accurate, super accurate reporting versus inaccurate reporting. And the the better you get at that, the better informed you will be. 
And then here's the real kicker. You have to teach people. Each one of you, we're doing a pay it forward program, okay? This is now the movie Pay It Forward. I'm the cute little boy. You're like the mom or whoever it was. Uh, someone is, was Kevin Spacey in that? I don't know. Someone here is probably Kevin Spacey, though, just so we know. But you got to pay it forward. You, The only way we really break through this system is to make it as difficult as possible for them to control thought, right? And Chomsky has this great quote, as long as two plus two equals four, as long as we still know that two plus two equals four, and it's from 1984, the book, uh, but as long as we still know that two plus two equals four, they haven't taken everything away from us. They haven't taken it. They haven't won, right? Um, Jonathan says he's Kevin Spacey. That's great. That's great. Congratulations, Jonathan. <laughs> So I have a clip I'd like to play. Um, and maybe we'll take some callers first, and then we'll get back into the clip. But I'll, I'll just kind of summarize, right? The basic premise of the propaganda model is that these filters, when combined, create a system that limits the diversity of perspectives and maintains a status quo that aligns with the interests of those in power. It's crucial for us to recognize that this model doesn't imply a grand conspiracy, no, right? There are times when there are definitely conspiracies going on, but rather, this is not a grand conspiracy here. It's a systemic tendency that emerges due to these structural factors. And that's what makes this model, that's what makes our propaganda system so dangerous. Is unlike somewhere like, you know, when Soviet Russia, it relies on a government, their propaganda, right, relied, relied completely on government control. But in seeing that government control, that's very harshly putting down stories and that's very harshly punishing people. And we do some of that here, Julian Assange, but... When that's the main method of how you control your propaganda, everyone kind of has it in the back of their mind that, oh, we don't believe this, but we just don't want to get in trouble. What's so fucking dastardly about our propaganda system is that it's, it's, it's almost invisible. If you don't know how to look for it, you will miss it. And that's what makes it effective. Propaganda is most effective when you don't know you're being propagandized. But these filtering systems create that systemic tendency for this kind of propaganda, this pro-business, pro-capitalist, uh, pro-status quo narrative to be the dominant narrative in our society. So Chomsky and Herman argue that this model applies primarily to corporate media which dominates, dominates the man, mainstream landscape, but they acknowledge the existence of independent media outlets and alternative sources that challenge these filters. Uh, and these alternative voices play a crucial role in providing more diverse and critical pr perspective on social issues, uh, social and societal issues, world issues, et cetera, right? But it's probably why, you know, most of the people here uh, are now mostly get their news from alternative sources. Like that's not an accident, but just realize 
that those alternative sources too can fall victim in many ways to these same models, to this, to, to some of the trappings of the same model. And one of the problems is too, that, you know, when we need a lot of money to actually do some on the ground investigative reporting, we don't have the money to do it. That's a, it's one of the problems we're running into with alternative media, right? So awareness of the propaganda model can really help you develop a more discerning approach to media consumption. And that is the first step here. Um, and why it forms the basis of like this class, I guess, right, is you need to have a, a system in the back of your mind or you need to understand the incentives and you need to understand how the systemic tendency for this propaganda to be created affects what's being written. Now I have two stories I want to do very quickly. I'll play a clip afterwards, but I want to, I want to get to Jonathan and Chardal. Um, but I do want to bring this up just a quick little example because we're getting academic in here. You know, we're getting a little academic. So first example, I have an article here um, and I don't know anything about a lot of this. Here's a report um, just that I found yesterday. Now you may not know this because it hasn't been heavily advertised, but let me copy the link here and put it in the chat. But uh, remember how Joe Biden said we weren't going to send jets, F-16 jets to Ukraine? We're sending them. We're sending them. Now, maybe you didn't know this. Maybe you missed the news for one day. Or maybe you, you, you watched, I don't know, maybe you were reading the New York Times or something like that and just didn't see a story about it. It's been pretty quiet. Seems like a pretty fucking big deal. Because one of the big parts of this war, remember, was to, one, it had to be a war of defense for Ukraine to avoid escalation with Russia. Even though there are plenty, of, I, I, I totally understand why Ukraine wants to hit back at Russia, but we don't want World War III, right? So that was a big sort of limiting factor is please do not give them jets or long range weapons, which can strike into Russian territory, right? So there was a time when Joe Biden says, hey, we're not giving F-16s to Kiev, to Ukraine. They went back on this and maybe you missed it, right? But here's what I really like about this article. And if you're following along, you can click on that article, but the article is titled, uh, let me just get it up here. It's not coming up for some reason. Okay, so this is really interesting, right? This is from a couple days ago and it appeared in the, uh, the BBC Europe. Uh, it said, <clears throat> it's by a guy named Chris Partridge. And usually what you do is you'd go, you'd look at where Chris Partridge is from, what media outlet he's working for, try to find some more of his past work to see if you can understand whether or not he has a slant or a bias to his, his writing. Uh, these are all things that you, you could do when analyzing, trying to figure out, am I being lied to or not? But here's what's very interesting. I like this article, not because of what it says, but what it doesn't say. So, Jet, the article is titled Jets to Ukraine, Crucial Questions Over Supplying F-16s to Kiev. Now, here's an important, here, here's a good part, right? Here, here's what's interesting is that crucial questions. The first crucial question that comes up in my mind is, is this going to lead to World War III? Are they going to use it to strike Russian territory? What happened to make us go back on the promise to not give them F-16s? 
is this going to lead to escalation? Those are crucial fucking questions, right? My life is on the line. Your lives are on the line. The lives of all those Ukrainians, of all the Russians, everyone. Like, if World War III with nukes happens, like, there's a lot of lives on the line. Those seem like crucial questions. Would you believe it? I've gone over this article. I'm looking at it again. Just to make sure they haven't changed it or updated it. None of those questions are even mentioned in this article. There's not a single question about like what the effects of this action are going to be. How this could potentially escalate tensions. How this can escalate this war. Not a single mention of it in this fucking article. You know what the questions are? How many? Here are the crucial questions, right? I'll read the beginning. Again, the crucial questions are not, are we going to fucking explode? They're this. The U.S. will support the delivery of advanced fighter jets to Ukraine by allowing Western allies to supply American-made F-16s and by training Ukrainian pilots to use the jets. Here's the first two parts of the article, right? The first two paragraphs. Sentences, actually. It would certainly be a military boost for Kiev, but the devil is in the detail. Nice. It's leading me in. Okay, where's the devil? Yeah, the devil is us exploding, right? No. Here's the detail. The crucial questions are how many, how quickly, and what weapons will the jets come supplied with? What the fuck? What the fuck are you talking about? How are those, like, and I don't want to be too harsh on Chris Partridge or whatever here. This isn't supposed to be like a fuck this guy thing. But they're framing the conversation in this headline that these are the crucial questions. If you Google this and you find it, the crucial questions are all about how, what kind of good weapons can we give them? Really, the only mentions of, of, of what of Russia is in comparing the F-16s and the weaponry that they can come equipped with, with the Russian models and saying that the Russian models are worse, right? Here's a, here's a, here's a sentence, right? Um, where was it? I just, okay, here we go. The F-16 radar, or uh, no one doubts the ability of the F-16, which has more than proved itself in conflicts around the world. They will be a step up from Ukraine's Soviet-era MiG-29s and Su-27s, which fly comparable missions. The F-16 radar can see further, allowing hostile aircraft to be engaged at longer ranges. I thought that was a bad thing, right? They typically come with missiles that do not require the aircraft to maintain a radar lock to hit their target, a capability that Russia currently has, but Ukraine does not. So the crucial questions here are all like, how can we better equip Ukraine to fight this war? That's, and they're trying to frame the conversation in such a way that people reading this will think that these are the crucial questions. I, I, you know, people are fair to have their different opinions as to what the most crucial questions are. But buddy, if World War III is on the line, that's not a real fucking crucial question to me. My crucial question is, how is it 
how is this going to de-escalate shit? How is this going to put us on the pathway pathway to peace? Because I'm not seeing it. This seems like an escalation. And this is an article that just gets through. That's just fine. Editor approves it. It just goes out. There we go. It's not going to, doesn't look like Biden's making, it doesn't even mention, nothing in here mentions whether it's a good idea. Nothing here is critiquing Biden for this decision, for this pullback. Nothing even really mentions that this is this is a, a reversal of a policy that we had in place for a reason because we didn't want to escalate things. It's not fucking here. And that's what's scary. That's what's scary about the propaganda model is this is how, this is, you know, it looks like an informative article, but what they're not saying is the stuff that's most important here. Now, this guy's going to go home. He's going to make his money. He's going to get his wage and, you know, maybe he has kids or something and he's going to sleep safe. And maybe he really believes in this. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's aware of it. Maybe he's not. Fact of the matter is, this is kind of shit that really gets through. And most of the articles that I found were along these lines. It was much more rare to find people going, uh, what the fuck are you doing giving them F-16s? Why did we reverse our 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 uh, uh, prior uh, stance on this? What do we have to gain from doing this? What does Ukraine have to gain? And just to top it all off, and I'll take some callers, and then I'm going to play a clip. But to top it all off, what, what, what I find so fucking crazy about all this, too, is there were reports out today that apparently Ukraine may have bombed a uh, – or, 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 or invaded uh, a Russian territory today. What did I see there? Um, uh, hold on. Let me, I just had the article. I apologize for not having it up again, but uh, there was a, yeah, Russian region near Ukraine. Let me see. Uh Belgorod, that's it. So Russia is claiming that, um, oh God, this is, a, uh, Russia is claiming basically that Ukraine, Ukrainian forces went into Belgorod, which is a Russian territory, and were trying to invade, trying to attack. Some people were killed. They were uh, repelled. Those forces were repelled. Was it Ukraine? I don't know, but I don't know. But where are we going to look for that accurate information? And that's what makes us hard, you know? Um, but again, I said, let's take some callers. I've been talking for an hour. It's crazy that I can just talk about this for an hour. But uh, after we take some callers, we're going to go into a clip from... Um, one of Chomsky's other books called Understanding Power, which is uh, more of a, a series of lectures that Chomsky has given. But we're going to go into a, uh, a clip from Understanding Power, which kind of summarizes this propaganda model and gives some examples with it. Um, so hope this is helping everyone. Uh, if you need a snack, we got some Capri Suns and some Lunchables in the cooler. 
right back in your in your room. You need to go take a little break, get you a hot shower, get you a warm towel. All that shit's in the rooms upstairs in your Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Go ahead and live it up. Let's go ahead and take uh, one of my favorite callers, Jonathan. Uh, go ahead and unmute yourself. Thank you for calling in again to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites and uh, welcome. Uh, how are you doing? Oh, I can't hear you, Jonathan. Try to try to unmute yourself through? again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Can everyone else hear? Yeah, it's a shoddy Wi-Fi, but I'll do what I can. Okay, welcome, Jonathan. How are you? Good. Uh, I don't know. Dance as usual, like, awesome. I don't know whether I want to do this in order or backwards, but I would try to start at the beginning, which is uh, uh, filter number six is the language itself. I guess you could kind of say it's part and parcel of number five, but the language you use, it's, it's hidden inside the words. So that you can't, you literally, yes. and every word, yeah. every word is a, is a whole concept. Every word Absolutely. is an idea. And you, you do not possess the ideas necessary to even begin discussing, you know, alternative political philosophy. Possess the ideas necessary to even begin discussing, you know, alternative political philosophy because you've never been taught them. You get at a space where you're referring to things like Medicare for all is so because you've never been taught them. You get at a space where you're referring to things like Medicare for all is socialized medicine. The idea is like that's socialism, but it's not. It's really just liberalism. So you're several steps away from achieving right. what you want. But like you, I don't even consider myself a socialist or communist, but just how close and reasonable and like one step away what you and I might agree on really is, is why they have to keep it at such a distance and work so hard to keep it at a distance. They have to brand Medicare for all as socialism, which it isn't. It's really just liberalism to make sure it doesn't exactly. happen. Because even if, and then the, if even if you get it, even if you get like a raise, you know, even you get uh, the labor unions achieve a goal of getting your their money goes up, they can just adjust the cost of living up to keep you running in the circle of liberalism. Is an infinite circle where you chase the same money every four years. That's what they've called socialism, so that even when you win, you still lose because you're still caught in the infinite loop. And yeah, exactly, exactly. I I, want to hit on that point too. That that little sliver of that small step between where you and I might disagree. Um. God, you put it so well. But that idea that they have to keep us divided because we agree on so much. We are so in line on so many things because all of our interests as uh, citizens, as people who are exploited under the system, are so aligned that they have to find ways to keep that one little sliver of difference between us so that we do not unite, so that we do not actually uh, form a coalition to push back against their bullshit. And that's what makes it difficult. I mean, it, it, they're very good at that too. I mean, all the culture war shit is that, uh, is a hundred percent that. And I, I really want to hit on the, the, the language part oh, too, because Chomsky really goes into this pretty deeply in his understanding power, uh, lectures. Yeah. He's a linguist and he's great at it. Um, 
Uh, well, not great of, at picking uh, his friends. I'm a fan of <laughs> hey, like a not as good as that. Buddy transfers. And that's where I got Wittgenstein. Is where I got that every idea is an entire con. Every word yes. is an entire concept thing. And this, like this, you, you think you're talking about socialism, yes. but no two people mean yes. the same thing it by is. it. It is. And so even when we, you and I can achieve consensus, we're still two steps away from anything that we, uh, you know, that would actually benefit people in the long term. Right. And on Wittgenstein saying that every word is like an entire concept. I mean, how, when's the last time America actually engaged in an aggressive war? When we invaded two countries. Yeah. And what were the words used? It? Defense. It's for national yeah, defense. When, when, was it, when did they come Motherfucker, the borders? you are invading. You are going, like, if you come into my house, if you, yes, if you come into my fucking house and start shooting at me and saying, yeah, I, I'm defending defense. myself. Are you out of it's your fucking mind? With another name. It's like, yeah, that's it's what, like, but what, that's, what's attack the then? It's preemptive. What does See, they mean? Always, <laughs> exactly. Preemptive defense. Yeah. It, 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 uh, there is no attack because for, if there it. was going to be attack, right? Um, that would actually, it would go against the propaganda and it would go against the interests of power, right? Power needs you to be okay with what they're going to do. And what they're going to do is invade these two countries because, right? Because the military industrial complex needs its money. They have an interest in going in there because these presidents have all kinds of, I don't never know what their issues are, but the they're owned and operated attack. by the same people. There's indoctrination involved. Attack. So it's like this dissection doesn't happen, but then we're okay. So the, the second point is that exactly. I, I knew this. I knew this. I had this friend once. So let's just say that it was the most attractive person I've, I ever actually knew. Right. And I, it was just like a, a friend of my girlfriend's friend or whatever. It's like three degrees of separation. But I was I was talking to her one day and I was like, here's what makes me want to put my head through a windshield. The thought that all you do is scroll through the hundreds of people who throw themselves mm. at you and find the one that's like the least offensive instead of sitting down without looking at the hordes and, and deciding what you want in your head and then going out and looking for that and considering that maybe they're not the type of person who's blowing up your DMs all day long, you know, because the problem is you're, you're so inundated, inundated with attention and content mm. that, you know, there's no time for sit there and think for yourself and you don't actually have to do the work of yeah. deciding what you want for yourself. So if this is an education about how to consume media, but depending on what kind of media you're talking about, not to undermine your whole project or anything, but the answer might be don't. Don't consume media. Don't you just you, that, so yeah. This, you know, yeah. No, you got to be careful I, about. I, yeah. And there's not all yeah. media that any consumption. I, I mean, I think that's fair. I, no, I, I I think that's a that's a very fair point, Jonathan. I think the only reason why I bring up how to do it is because. There are the majority of people in America in so many ways are already politically turned off. They're, they're not engaged. You know, you have 85% of people who don't really know what's going on. And in not really knowing what's going on, the few things that you hear here and there, you may not know. 
Yeah, but apart or realize while you're hearing them that it's propaganda. It's telling you what to think about. Right? Like and to even hear the subject matter brought into your attention, you've already lost the game. Like they they, yeah. they, they go to the things that you're going to have an opinion about that's really strong and visceral. You but can't help it. My some... dad is going to have a strong visceral opinion about X, Y, and Z. Right. You know, and they'll bring it up, and he's already lost because he heard it in the first place. Excuse me. Yeah, I, 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 the one, maybe an example will provide some better pushback as to what I'm saying here. But um, if we really are going into potentially World War III, uh, or if we end up invading a country, or if we end up going to war, those actual effects on people are going to be catastrophic. There's no amount of turning off the media or disengaging that will save you from that. And I do think that there are people who want to spend their time not just consuming, because the, the consumption part is a big, a it's, it can absolutely be a huge trap. You are 100% correct in that. Uh, it, it could be a time sink. And it can also trick yeah, you into you thinking you're doing blurb, stuff when you're not that doing basically it was a 20 minute about nothing. exactly you're not that. doing shit. Yeah, no, exactly that. Yeah, that's what I was. I was trying to think of where I heard it. Yeah, it was your you had a you put a blurb out on Colin about this, and I I found myself agreeing. Yeah, I really like that. I thought it was like twelve minutes. If any of you have uh, time after this, I would highly suggest you uh, follow Jonathan or just listen you, to that blurb. You're the dead there's a lot show, of real meat there. And I'm there's like, I want to be it's dense very, too. I don't want to. It's definitely something that is sink just, as an entertainer. Yeah. You know, I want to bring like if I'm more entertaining than I am educational, I think of myself yeah. as a failure. Yeah. Because. It... Well, I don't know. Well, I uh, sort of like, lost I, it, but I, I, I don't want to take up ahead, too much time. So I decided to move to the last thing, which is about Ukraine. And it's about like, uh, well, October and September and October of last year, I was on the Katie Halpers, you useful idiots, calling Ukraine basically play by play right. before it happened. And not this isn't the point isn't to flex the point. Well, maybe a little bit. But the point is to just point out. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Well, stop yeah. me if you've go heard ahead, this flex. one before. Go ahead, flex, okay, the Sassanid Emperor and the Byzantine Emperor are uh, having the same problem. Yeah. Their shit's overcrowded because men and women are born in the same uh, ratio. And yet it is not the case that they all just pair up happily and live weed smoking lives and propagate. So you have an X percentage of disenfranchised young men that come from the operation of not capitalism, but any culture anywhere ever. And to keep crime down, they say, no, we're going to export our violence. And look, you, you send your disenfranchised young men at my disenfranchised young men and mm. we'll thin the herd. The ones that come back will have something to show for it. And to keep it sweet, we got to keep we got to sell this. We're going to put on the table Antioch or Tyre or Megiddo. And if shit's really serious, Jerusalem is on the table. And that's how you know it's like a big deal and shit's really getting hairy everywhere. But the winners... If Lenin was right about anything, it's the rich in both countries that are the winners and the poor in both countries that are the losers. And what's going on in Ukraine is just the, the keeping going of yeah. the war. That like every If you just look at it through the lens of we need to keep the war going for as long as possible, then everything will make perfect sense. Yeah. They don't want it to end. Propaganda, I said, has layers like an onion, right? Like it's like, oh, it's we... 
it's about democracy. Oh, except I know it's not. I'm a really smart American who watches TV and I know it's really about oil, but it's not about oil. 6% of oil comes from Arabia. The rest is from Venezuela and Canada. What it's really about is hands it's out, that. handouts to arms manufacturers. It's about keeping the flows of money through the rich going seamlessly. Yeah. Yeah. And you need to 100%. keep that going for as long as you possibly yeah. can, as long yeah. as people will put up with it. And if you see the thing starting to tilt towards the Ukrainians losing, then you give them more guns so that it keeps going, but never enough to win the war, only enough to keep it going. And like, yeah. if you just be like, oh, does, is that what's going to be the result of what they're doing? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what kind of perplexes me about this F-16 move, too. I so mean, it's more it's... going. I I don't know what the it will for now, but I don't know if they like the weapons manufacturers definitely want the war to keep going. the The military industrial complex absolutely wants the war to keep going, and if this war ends, there will be another war for that reason. So long as nothing changes, right? It, if war is Marine war is a Major racket. General I who said that, but, um, someone smarter than me. Um, who wrote that book called War is a Racket. That's that was right. Smedley Butler? That's right. The Smedley Butler? Okay. That's the guy who fucking stopped a coup from happening, from, like, George Bush's, like, grandfather or something, right? Yeah, like, isn't right. that the same Smedley Butler? It is. War is a Racket. God, man, that guy was cool. Sick. The, the land speculators yeah. also Smedley. don't want to Shout out to because Smedley, you buy everybody. land uh, when there's... Hopefully he wasn't like a Kevin Spacey or something. <laughs> you buy land when there's blood in the streets. So the people who want the yeah. Ukrainian farmland also yeah. want the war to keep I, I, I... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking hard, man. That's fucking rough. I... I, I... <sighs> You know, I don't like it's it's hard for me. I understand psychologically why people want to tune out and just consume because I do that shit all the time, man. Like I'm not above that. It's fun to just like forget about everything. You know, it's fun to be entertained. It's fun to like don't it feels better what you're doing. You don't feel as sad. That's all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that when it comes to, you know, like even shows like this, I mean, I, I think the, you know, to be frank, I think the perhaps the the extent of my contribution is trying to introduce people to things that can give them the tools to be better activists, to be better, um, I don't know, to, to be more uh, discerning in how they interact with the media that they choose to engage with. But I don't know if like, you know, when it comes to actually putting stuff together, I think there are people on this app that I trust more than me. You know, people like I, I trust people like Andrew or Amanda or people who are trying to do something more the and actual more, politics you know, that involves... um, but I don't know because I've, I've been thinking of that a lot. The, the, the real politics, real this is politics. Just political now, I, there's some We're things that talking. I am doing, but I I just don't know. 
This is all political commentary. This is just people bullshitting. You know, that's what this is. It's people the catharsis talking. that comes uh, from this will know, change like I probably nothing. Feel like but a maybe solid fifty percent or more of Brianna's audience yeah, feel like yeah, there's some truth in that. There's when no they truth. go to bed that night, they're like, "I have done a politic," but it's like you, you, you haven't. Well, that's yeah. I, I mean, that's one of the things. That's one of the things I'm I'm starting to notice too is how this ecosystem can also create sort of a manufacturing of content, right? If not consent, content but content. And content. Like I go to bed that? at night, I paid my money to, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, con- yeah. Oh fuck. Oh. Oh fuck. Oh, my mind is actually a little blown from that, but yeah, it is. It is, but it, it's you know it's it's weird because so like, why? Uh, but the problem isn't that she's like bad Brianna at her job. The problem like is that her, she's good at her job. She's really like, we're fucking all... good at her job. That's the problem. Yes, she's you yeah. know she's like yeah yeah always yeah. comes well yeah. informed. Yeah. She does her research. It's just, you know, she articulates I, I, everything really well. She's pressing with the questions and doesn't let people evade them. Yeah. It's like you're the best at what you fucking do. Yeah, and people love listening to you, but that's what they're doing instead of being angry, which they should be doing. You know, but 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 the anger without direction yeah. is uh, like. I don't know. And I was Colin bought by message. Rumble? Is that what happened? Rumble bought sure Colin? Is that what I'm seeing here, Murphy? I did not get that. Look, I, I, this has always been, I got to be honest too, people. This has always been like a t- probably a temporary exercise on my part. Um, because in, in many ways, if I'm being just frank, you know, there there's a section in here uh, in this book, Understanding Power that Noam Chomsky has, it talks about subtler methods of control. And basically the, the, if I have to summarize that chapter, it's bills, it's debt and it's access to things and it's golden handcuffs. That's, those are the more subtle methods of control. You know, you'll, you'll be more radical and then you'll, you'll be someone like a radical union labor organizer. And then these big wig business people will invite you to these conferences. You and have something to lose. you and dine you and give you a little money, give you a little this, make you see the comforts. And then you think, oh, these guys aren't so bad. Yeah. When you have Maybe something Graber's to lose. Right. Jobs. Is it um, PMC? And that becomes more of a possibility with me every day. Yeah. If you're paid, you're being you know? paid to do nothing. Yeah. And it's not yeah. just like. PMC, a, yeah. Yeah. I think. It's I think, really you know, very important that you do nothing if you're part of these bullshit yeah. jobs. So you can't be like doing things. You have to do no things. Yeah, you cannot tell the truth in public school. Yeah, you cannot like you can't start a union at your workplace. You'll be fired. You'll be fired if you start to do politics. You're paid to not do politics. That's the PMC in a nutshell. Is they you take the sort of people who are a ten points above average and you give them something to lose. That's the that's the state apparatus. That's the basically government jobs that aren't like yeah. The garbage man that are white collar government jobs. I mean, yeah, or yeah, just stay in line. It's it's it, yeah, and it's and it's 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 power has every incentive to keep that train rolling, you know, to keep that wheel turning because that's a low blow license. It's cheaper in the long run to. to <laughs> 
I am PMC too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, guys, like, let's be very clear. I am absolutely PMC. And I'm also like, I, I do feel myself, you know, I'd be lying if I said that there weren't times where I was thinking like, what am I doing, man? I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to do this right. just for like talking about politics. You know, one of the reasons I don't want to get into politics, one of the reasons I don't want to do too much is because, yeah. you know, I just bought a house with a lady and what am I going to do? Like lose the house, lose the lady, do all this stuff. I was engaged before that didn't go well. And now it's kind of like, of well, what the fuck, man? Services, like, am I just people with a lot what of am I willing? What if I have kids be afraid to, to lose anything? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's, 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 that's the fucking thing though. That, 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 that's, that's what fucking kills me about it though, is that I know in my heart that this system cannot continue it is going to fucking crash and i the idea of us just failing this experiment because of 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 people wanting short-term quarterly profits is so fucking stupid to me that it's if fdr pushed the flows no it's gonna crash for us too pmc's up pmc is a temporary position right this is, we are, they give us enough money to pay bills. And then, I don't know, go buy a little something, something. But everything we buy is bullshit, right? We don't build we, Here's wealth, what we really. decide we whether or not. the ability to build there's one, there's bigger decks and people give us cards and blah, blah, blah. Whether or not you're high up the ladder to survive the, the hypothetical crash, which I think is going to be more like a, 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 the world ending in ice than the world ending in fire. So not so much of a crash as it dies in a whimper, not a scream. But what makes you high enough enough the ladder to, to survive mm. it is going to be whether or not your income comes from asset yeah. appreciation or profit or salaries or wages. But the point is, if your house goes up enough in value mm. year over year, and that makes you more money than your job does, now you're going to because that's who the system is built to, to favor. That's who's going to win. That who, that's who already wins, given the operations of this system. Right. So, I mean, you might not have enough property to make more money by your property ownership yeah, than your job. Yeah, I, I agree. I just, I just don't. I, but exactly. that's the that's the tilt. Exactly. When you, that's probably you own ten yeah. million in property. And and the property is not owned by, by. But yeah. 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 Yeah, that's the thing. It's still owned by the yeah. If 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 it's still owned by the bank. Like people, if you paid we just do not have the more, capital to compete. You'd be in a whole other class of person, right? It's you'd be it's the actual class. Yeah, but even that class is next. It is it 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 will continue to eat everyone at the bottom of that uh, pyramid Eventually, until there's no more. Yes, but I don't like, know it, that it I'll doesn't live to see stop. That. Like capital isn't going to stop when all the people, you know, and my assets won't be. Robots. mean shit because all the people will be gone and there'll be no one to sell them to like that's the thing about like the system yeah robots <laughs> are gonna produce, buy my fucking house stuff. suck my dick yeah, that's not you, gonna fuck it. you you fucking know like, get the fuck out of here dude okay try this one on they'll produce you like you well, need people to buy things it, i've envisioned a world and this is a weird uh dystopian hellscape yeah. in which there are bots that buy space in airbnbs just to keep the flows going like there are whole companies made of not people that still pay, like they buy, they buy plane tickets, they buy seats on planes, they buy seats on yeah. cruises. 
They buy Airbnbs. The service economy will become a digital flow machine just to keep the flows going so they can keep sort of scalping pennies off of the top of each transaction. And there'll be no people there. It'll be companies paying themselves in order to like fleece the flows and, 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 and take the usury away from the money creation device. It's kind of a, like I'll talk more about that one in my next episode of Political Economy. But uh, I think it can go on without people. It's very Skynet. It's very, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a world post-people world in which this economy yeah. still keeps running very much like it does now. Yeah. It, it just seems silly to waste all of that human potential when you could make that same system work for everybody. Like what, what is the purpose of human beings? Like, I know there's no purpose to anything, right? Like I'm, I'm very big in this idea that like, uh, you know, Albert Camus with this, you know, everyone's Sisyphus, you're rolling a rock up a hill. It's absurd. Yeah. I, I'm very much a like believer of that. And I think I find a lot of solace in that because I find that freeing because the idea of, everything being this finite sort of thing and nothing matters means that, well, what, what kind of nothing matters do we want to live? And I really do like the idea. Like I like how human beings can learn shit and develop not just technology and all these different things, but like can build off of what's come before, you know, human civilization is basically like one tribe or our, our greatest ancestors started building a sand castle somewhere and every generation afterwards even though lots of us have knocked down parts of the sand castle we're still building that same fucking sand castle it's like one of those like sourdough breads where everyone has a little bit of that yeast that's been happening for generations and generations like thousands of year old yeast that's still propagating new bread i find that just the idea of that continuation fucking cool to me like, that's so sick, dude. Like, even if it means nothing, like, how far or how long can we keep this game of, like, telephone going? But that's sort and of to me, understanding that your purpose here is finite is... Go ahead. It's, you said, sorry, you cut out. But I was saying, you know, understanding that that purpose is finite means that, like, well... What can I do to try to like hand off this baton in a way that the race can keep going just because, because it's, it, listen, it's neat. It's like the humanity building has up. That. Yeah. It's like building up that sandcastle forever until thing, but so does everything the collapses. An and then the last thing... momentum. That is why this whole thing won't change is because of momentum. Did, it reminds me of that. There was a yeah. flush toilet discovered in the Island of Crete. That was 3000 years old. <coughs> Nobody reinvented the flush toilet until like 150 years ago like a really good idea can be lost and not discovered again just because everybody just looks to the generation before them and they're like oh that must be the best way to do things and like no one wants to believe that there's a really really simple big change that you can make that could completely change the way everything it works in this everything is organized so the flush toilet for political economy it's just universal basic services yeah. and a wealth tax. No one thinks it's that simple. I'm convinced it absolutely is that simple. That's the flush toilet. You just like, oh, we just forgot that it was that simple. And for thousands <laughs> of years, we've been not doing those things. 
because we just were like, oh, momentum. Oh, you know, that's the, yeah. that's a, the, yeah. uh, this person and that, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. No, you just do those two things and this whole thing works how it's supposed to. Even with markets and what, everything, even with yeah. banks doing more or less what they do now. Yeah. 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 Maybe it is. But if it is, then I don't know. Why don't we just, what's the use of not fighting to continue to do that or to figure that out, to make that happen? You know, that's, that's kind of what I'm on. And I don't know, like at a certain point, I guess with the whole PMC thing, I think like there's a certain point to where it's just worth burning down the personal life for the sake of that experiment. And that's something that I'm kind of like struggling with is where's that point have to do it. And how do you kind of insulate yourself? Somebody has got to be a martyr. Yeah. And maybe a lot of people have to be martyrs. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to, yeah, I, I just want to keep as many people out of those crosshairs as I can on the way. That's all. And I, I but I do think, um, you know, we're, we're that's that's yeah. where we have to go. Well, I'll it's going to have to start go. being a little bit of that. And um, time. Thank I don't you. Know. Yeah, always a pleasure talking with you, man. And then uh, why don't you tell people about your 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 show that you're doing on here, or you know, you, I, yeah, you probably fucking hate to call it a show. Your series of um, small I know, lectures. I it gets to where I'm like, oh god, things. there's so much. There's so much more to it. What's your show, buddy? Thrown on and on and on and be like at the point of, well, what do you want me to do? Just edit Deleuze and read it to you? You know, I don't want to do that. I want to try to make it concise and pithy and terse. And I just, I'm not doing a very good job, but I'm going to try to do better. To just like the the concepts, words are whole concepts. And I want to arm people with the concepts necessary for really progressive thought. That's all. That's my goal. It's called uh, Theory Corner in the one episode. Two ep- two parts is on ideology, and yeah. the next one is I, on political economy. Awesome. Awesome. So Theory Corner owned, on Colin, owned. now owned by Rumble, uh, brought to you by Squarespace. All right, thanks, everybody. Uh, I'm hanging up. <laughs> brought to you, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Jonathan. Always a pleasure. Thanks for coming. All right, Lysol. What's going on? How are you? Go ahead and unmute yourself and welcome back to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Biden, it's good to see you. Looks like your house is set up. You got uh, first world problems going on again. Yep, just a lot of first, a lot of painting, <laughs> painting fences. <laughs> it's definitely first world problems, but uh, the be- the the best kind of problems to have, I'll say, uh, for sure. So, in our tradition, I brought another '90s snack. Um, I've got some. Oh, good. You have what? Shark bites. Oh, for real? Yeah. Shark. I haven't seen shark bites in forever, dude. Let me see. They're probably still around, though, right? They, they were would... like just, um, the, were they the fruity snacks? Fruit flavored snacks? Yeah, they're little fruit snacks. Right? Yeah. Shark bites. Oh, that logo has changed for sure. <laughs> <laughs> dude, what were the, the sharks that were like the Ninja Turtles, but they were sharks? Street sharks? Street sharks. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, street sharks, dude. Dude, I had those action figures. Oh man, it was sick. The mouth was so big. You just like be yeah, street sharks were sick. Like this is transferable. People will follow will follow punk rock skaters of any animal kind. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. 
Like, it doesn't matter if they're turtles or sharks. I like how they still went with something that was kind of aquatic. Hilarious. Guys, if you don't know what street sharks are, please do yourself a favor and look them up. They're just fucking super buff. First of all, what the fuck are sharks doing on land? Right? What is this? Like, and then second, they're just big shark mouths with just rippling abs and then camo pants and jeans. Like, they're, they're fucking hilarious, dude. They look like a... How did they fucking, talk? I don't know. Did they try? Did they try to affect I, they, like a Raphael thing? To talk? Sorry, am I, am, am said, I how did they out? talk? Yeah, yeah, the, the street sharks. Did they have like a Raphael thing? Hey, don't talk to me. Like, I'm walking here. Oh, I can't guys. remember. I think it was more like this. I don't know. I can't. <laughs> I honestly can't remember. That's a pretty good Raphael, though, too. Like, oi. The Bubba Dubba. I don't know. He was a little more Jersey, I think. Uh, but, <laughs> oh, my God. It only ran for three years, but holy shit. What a three years it was. Incredible. Incredible. But anyway, I'm sure you didn't come here to talk about street sharks, but maybe you did. <laughs> I mean, I'm not opposed to street sharks talk, but I was <laughs> so... Yeah. I, I I think about this type of stuff a lot when it comes to the, the propaganda model and like honestly like I, I wonder if we're starting to reconfigure education because what what is the point of memorizing facts in, in a fully indexed world where you can just look them up like I think kids should be mm. kids should be learning how to interpret information rather than memorizing information I feel like setting up a strong sure. filter in students is probably the most important thing I mean, they, you know, you have to present them the information. They have to know what happened in 1492 and 1616 and stuff like that. But like having memorized seems like an incredible waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, look, I think, I think, you know, part of why I like the propaganda model is not in memorizing the parts of it. It's that I think anyone can come up with this model if you critically think about the media landscape. And that's what I like about it. Like dissecting the parts of the model helps us kind of, it's, it's an exercise in sort of critical thinking. It's an exercise in how we can, uh, we can translate the way that we are uh, analyzing media under this model to analyze a lot of different things and to also develop new models and develop new, I don't know, just thoughts. Like that's the, uh, that's why I like about a lot of Chomsky's writing, to be honest, is that it seems almost common sense once you hear it. Uh, but it's really just, uh, I guess, teaching you kind of how to think. But, I mean, I, it's, I, I come back to this type of stuff a lot because people talk about like the kids and like online misinformation. And I, I still feel based on the stuff yeah. I've learned post like, all the unlearning I've had to do for things I learned pre-internet. It just feels like the yeah. the longer the, the longer you lived pre-internet, the more propagandized you are, not the less, is my theory. So I give the kids a lot of hope because they didn't spend time where all it took was ABC, Fox, NBC, and CBS agreeing, and that was reality. Like, I lived, that, that was my life, like, the first probably, like, 15, 16 years of my life. And, like, there's nothing approaching that yeah. right now. It, you know, I think I think there's it's a balance, right? I think you're right. I agree with you to in some to some extent. But do you have any concern for um, 
sort of the propaganda via uh, constant consumption in 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 the in the sense of uh, as Jonathan was bringing it up, right? The fact that these kids are not uh, they don't have as many chances as we did to just be alone with your thoughts, to just sort of not be either engaged with media or uh, thinking about how they're displayed in media. Because I think those things are very, uh, look, those have a way of conforming people too, right? I mean, look at a, I mean, I don't know what you were like in high school, but I'm sure everyone had a group that they were trying to fit into. People were trying to uh, project something. You always have these, these parts where, you know, there are clicks or these things you're trying to like fit in. And when you are constantly engaged with, uh, you know, we, we were able to get out, get away, go home. And then at home, we were just kind of like more of us, uh, whatever that was. And that allowed us to kind of grow into this. Uh, I don't think kids these days can, can get away from that. I think because they're constantly engaged, because they're constantly consumed, consuming or, or, uh, attached, uh, they don't get the same space to get away from, I guess, that desire to fit in, <clears throat> excuse me, to be a part of something, to, to you know, uh, to be there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I mean, aren't they still taking acid? That's that's where I got my perspective. I mean, yeah, acid and mushrooms and stuff can definitely help, but I don't know if they are. And also, I think... I mean, with me, part of the things I really like about psychedelics is it puts me in touch with those parts of me that I have developed there. I don't know, like, I don't know what a trip would be like if you had never seen yourself. Does that make sense? No. Or if you weren't accustomed to it or something. Say more on Well, I mean, like, this idea of, like, um, you know, everyone walks around with these contradictions all the time that we're living, that we're experiencing, yada, yada, yada. But there's like a little part of you that there's like a little continuation of who you were, at least for me, like who I was like as a kid, as, you know, my earliest memories as to who I am now. And there's like a through line there. There's like a there's like a connective tissue that I can see the same person there. He's been through a lot. He's changed a lot. He's done a lot of bad things, but he's learned a lot and he's done a lot of good things. And being able to connect from where I am now to where I was then, I think I'm only able to do because some part of me really understood where I was then and who I was then and why I was doing some of those things that I was doing and yada, yada, right? Like if kids don't have that, if they don't have that sense of who they were, then isn't there like just this potential tendency to just, they find out, they just wake up one day and find out they've always been like, a cog in a wheel of a machine that they don't even understand. So they can't even understand their place in it. And in taking that trip, you know, is it going <coughs> to reveal who they were if they never knew that? Is Are they going to have that same connective tissue? And if they don't, is that going to send them into a fucking spiral? Because I can see that being like a, if the first time you really realized how like much of a cog you were was when you were on psychedelics for the first time, I think you would, that could really fuck you up right now. If you got a good therapist or something and you're, or a shaman or something, and they're really good at guiding you totally different. But 
I mean, dude, shamans existed for a reason. I'm a big believer in that shit. Like they, they, they served a, a, a purpose in a lot of societies, right? Like just the chill fucking cool fuck who could like, no, I've done these drugs before. Don't worry. You are safe. You know, like that guy, <laughs> like it, it actually plays a role. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the kids will be all right. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's an interest. So, so the, the, the youth throughout the ages you're kind of talking about, I think of that as kind of like the essence of a person. And I don't that's yeah, necessarily yeah. dependent. I mean, you know, even pre psychedelics, I remember, I remember my mind being expanded by the song, the circle of life from fucking Lion King. I was like, Holy shit. Yeah. I was 10. Holy yeah. shit. It is a circle. Yeah. It's a big fucking circle. And that, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm speaking only from my own experience, but that feels like kind of like a pretty quintessential part of being a human being is asking these questions. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fair point to say that maybe people only ask these questions in the, you know, the deep, dark, deep, dark point of the night when their soul is in despair or something like that. But it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, also the, 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 you know, the system, the system is, is pretty much impenetrable when it's well oiled and it's running well, but children have never seen the, States yeah. that you and I remember that was dominant in literally fucking anything other than war. Like, I feel like the, the, yeah. the emperor has no clothes. And honestly, the people in charge still haven't recovered from the internet, making it easy for us to point that out. I don't think they have either. I think that's, that, that's fair. That's a fair point. Um, but they will and can adapt or I don't know, maybe, I mean, look, <coughs> strangely, one of the things that kind of gives me hope is that, uh, it's 20, it's about to be 2024 and the same candidates that they have up are again, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, like neither side has learned anything. They don't fucking know what they're doing. That's the thing at this point, like the fact that the best option for them is Joe Biden really shows you how the emperor really has no clothes. Or when you hear these stories about how, um, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi is propping up Diane Feinstein. Because, you know, potentially she wants to keep Adam Schiff or that seat warm for Adam Schiff doesn't want Governor Newsom to appoint Barbara Lee or any of this shit. It's like the games that they're playing are so fucking stupid and they actually don't have a secession plan that it's, uh, you know, it's it makes you realize or it makes you think, like, how together do these people really have it? Because that does not strike me with, you know, like competence at all. Um, well, I mean, th- there was that article in the Atlantic is called power causes brain damage. I don't know if I've talked to you about this before. Let, stop me. Stop me. No. Um, so basically their theory is that people reach people reach a point where they're the CEO, where they're the head of literally everything in their life. Basically, the point where they, they stop having people who can tell them the truth. The Michael Bloomberg's of the world. Like he's my quintessential example because he doesn't have anybody in his life that could have told him it was a dumb idea to run for president. But yeah, and basically it's kind of like your brain atrophies. You have a harder time empathizing with other people. Barack Obama mentioned that in the audacity of hope when he was talking about hobnobbing with lobbyists and starting to see things from their perspective versus just the grassroots perspective. And so I feel like it's also kind of, you know, it's, you know, how else do I explain the fact that like the United uh, San Francisco had, um, Ed Lee, he was our mayor before our previous mayor, who started out as a housing rights advocate, um, but ended up being the person who conducted all the homeless sweeps when, when San Francisco got the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. 
or, you know, Nancy Pelosi starts out as like, you know, I'm for Medicare for all in like the early 90s. And by the time she gets to be in power, she's doing everything she can to stop it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, uh, I mean, that that atrophy point is really a good point because like, you know, like Elon Musk just seems to get stupider every day. <laughs> and to be surrounded by people who are just yes men like that, that is that's hell to me that like no one would actually push back that no one would actually say anything that is to, supposed to challenge me and just i just always get my way i would be such a fucking shit if that's how my life went man i it, like i'd be such a piece of shit and a dumbass i'd be a big dummy and you know like yeah i like that that was an article in the atlantic yeah. i mean yeah watch, i do like you watch the sopranos right you know what i don't Okay, so you don't need I probably Sopranos. People fucking love that show. You don't need to know yeah. the Sopranos specifically for this reference. Um, yeah, Carmela is the wife. Tony is the, the mob boss, and they're in divorce. And Carmela, uh-huh. you don't have any friends. So I was like, what are you talking about? I have friends. He's like, you have people that work for you. They have to laugh at your jokes. You think they're your friends? And the next time he makes a joke that's not all that funny, everybody in the room is just like dying over laughing. Good one, boss. And he has this moment. I'm like, yep, that is the loneliest feeling in the world to be by yeah, people yeah. and be and and not to be able to reach any of them that they're all you know to be totally and completely alone at the same time yeah that's why they have to get more yachts and exploit more laborers because that will fill the hole inside of them yeah that will for sure like fucking fucking up other people's lives or kicking the homeless people out of subway cars or wherever it's definitely going to make them feel better for sure um ridiculous but yeah you're right you're right do you know Str- oh shit you got uh, any other oh sorry. oh go ahead go ahead oh um <coughs> there's oh. A, a theory it's not hard science but of course very little political science is hard science it's called strauss how generational theory and basically just no i haven't heard of this it. idea that you know like the um generations like there's like the greatest generation they're like the, the, the people who like step up and beat the nazis and then the baby boomers are like like a countercultural, like spiritual awakening type group. And then they give way to like the Gen Xers who are like the cynical people who like give, you know, who, who like disengage entirely from the system. And then the millennials sweep in and they're kind of like leading the crisis back to the next generation. Then Gen Z is like the next greatest generation. And so I've, I've got a hope because I've, you know, I think of history as kind of like a spiral staircase. Like it definitely like moves in a, yeah. and you can't see where you were pr- on the, uh, the last time you were at this this location on the circle, but it's it, there's there's ebbs and flows, and I, I feel like we're at such a yeah. such an incredibly historical ebb that a flow is m- almost certain to come. A flow just like the the toilet that we forgot, the flush toilet that we forgot years ago, and that that completes the cycle, right? The we once had a flush toilet, we forgot it. Now we have another flush toilet. Maybe it's time to forget it again. Uh, and maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, Lysol, I always appreciate you calling in. Thank you for calling. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, I'm going to play that clip by uh, Noam Chomsky now for the... Uh, uh, basically, that goes over the propaganda model in much less words. Uh, so let me... Grab that real quick. Um, I'll go to that bookmark. Here we go. And I'm going to start playing this. Again, this is from uh, Understanding Power, the Indispensable Chomsky, uh, which is uh, 
a collection of uh, lectures edited from uh, that Noam Chomsky gave at different points of his life. Uh, but this is basically explaining the propaganda, the propaganda model, which again, uh, doesn't do it in so many terms, but again, just to go over the layers of the propaganda model, if you're joining us later, you forgot it. Uh, I'm a big fan of just redundancy as far as learning things, right? But again, propaganda model filters what media is allowed to exist, what news stories are allowed to exist. Those stories and that media tends to not be made just to inform people. Rather, it's mainly to insulate power. And why is that? Because there's five filters which filter any kind of stories, six filters. Yeah, we'll say six for Jonathan. Um, six filters, five from the book, but a sixth one from Jonathan, which is valid. Uh, that stop any real uh, stories that would actually challenge the power system from getting through. Uh, and those filters are the owners of the papers themselves, the owners of the media, the advertisers for the media. <coughs> I apologize. I'm still getting over a sickness, y'all. But the owners of the media the advertisers from the media, uh, the special interests and the access journalists, the, the people who you need to access stories in order to um, get these stories. Uh, then the fourth one is flack for those people who want to publish stories that go against the ownership class, the advertiser class, and which would risk them losing access. <clears throat> if you actually do that, actually get through those those three filters and decide to publish anyway, you're going to get flack for it. You're going to get called shitty. You're going to get potentially put in jail, yada, yada, yada. You're going to get fucked up. And then the fifth filter is uh, anti-communism and anti-socialism being uh, propagated because those things are uh, systemically uh, hurt power itself. And Synergy, I'm glad you think this is helpful. Uh, I'm going to post this later. You can go back and listen to the whole thing, uh, provide some resources on it and everything. But I, this is really important. And the sixth filter, which kind of goes with the anti-communism and anti-socialism rhetoric that's allowed to get through, is language itself. How do they describe what power is doing? Right? They don't describe power as attacking or invading a country. It's always a, a war of defense. Oh, we have to engage in self-defense. We're defending ourselves by invading Iraq and Afghanistan. Which again, if you came into my house and started fucking shooting me and then called it defense, ah, that's not going to fly. That's propaganda. Okay? And that's how they do it. What they say, what they don't say, why they say it, why they don't uh why they say some things, why they don't say other other other, other things, excuse me. All of it's explained in large part by the propaganda model. So here's a clip from, again, Understanding Power, the indispensable uh, Chomsky. Uh, go ahead and let me know if it's too loud or if it's okay. And uh, I'll go ahead and let it play out. Perpetuating brainwashing under freedom. Man, why is it that across the board in the media, you can't find examples of people using their brains? Find them, but typically they're not in the mainstream press. Why is that? Because if they have the capacity to think freely and understand these types of things, they're going to be kept out by a very complicated filtering system, which actually starts in kindergarten, I think. In fact, 
The whole educational and professional training system is a very elaborate filter, which just weeds out people who are too independent and who think for themselves and who don't know how to be submissive and so on, because they're dysfunctional to the institutions. I mean, it would be highly dysfunctional to have people in the media who could ask questions like this. So by the time you've made it to bureau chief or editor, or you've become a big shot at CBS or something, the chances are that you've just got all this stuff in your bones. You've internalized values that make it clear to you that there are certain things you just don't say. And in fact, you don't even think about them anymore. This was actually discussed years ago in an interesting essay by George Orwell, which happens to be the introduction to Animal Farm. Animal Farm is a satire on Soviet totalitarianism, obviously, and it's a very famous book. Everybody reads it. But what people don't usually read is its introduction, which talks about censorship in England. And the main reason people don't read it is because it was censored nicely. It wasn't published with the book. It was finally rediscovered about 30 years later, and somebody somewhere published it. And now it's available in some modern editions. But in this essay, Orwell said, look, this book is obviously about Stalinist Russia. However, it's not all that different in England. And then he described how things work in England. He said, in England, there isn't any commissar around who beats you over the head if you say the wrong thing. But nevertheless, the results are not all that different. And then he had a two-line description of how the press works in England, which is pretty accurate, in fact. One of the reasons why the results are similar, he said, is because the press is owned by wealthy men who have strong interests in not having certain things said. The other, which he said, is equally pertinent, is that if you're a well-educated person in England, you went to the right prep schools, then to Oxford, and now you're a big shot somewhere, you have simply learned that there are certain things that it is not proper to say. And that's a large part of education, in fact. Just internalizing the understanding that there are certain things it is not proper to say, and it is not proper to think. And if you don't learn that, Typically, you'll be weeded out of the institution somewhere along the line. Well, those two factors are very important ones. There are others, but they go a long way towards explaining the uniformity of ideology in the intellectual culture here. Now, of course, it's not 100%. So you'll get a few people filtering through who will do things differently. Like I say, in this united enjoy business, I was able to find two people in the United States who were not united enjoy and were able to say so in the mainstream press. But... If the system is really working well, it's not going to do things which undermine itself. In fact, it's a bit like asking, how come Pravda under Stalin didn't have journalists denouncing the gulags? Soviet penal labor camps. Why not? Well, it would have been dysfunctional to the system. I suspect it's not that the journalists in Pravda were lying. I mean, that was a different system. They used the threat of force to silence dissidents. We don't use much here. Even in the Soviet Union, chances are very strong that if you actually bothered to look, you'd find that most of the journalists actually believe the things they wrote. And that's because people who didn't believe that kind of thing would never have made it onto Pravda in the first place. It's very hard to live with cognitive dissonance. Only a real cynic can believe one thing and say another. So whether it's a totalitarian system or a free system, the people who are most useful to the system of power are the ones who actually believe what they say, and they're the ones who will typically make it through. <coughs> Excuse me. I think I think that's good there uh, to end the clip there. But um, again, that's what makes this this propaganda model so uh, compelling to me. 
is this idea that it's not recognizing a grand conspiracy. It's a systemic tendency that's emerging due to these structural factors, right? A lot of these people are writing, uh, are in, in these positions, are writing things that they believe. But they wouldn't be there to be able to write the things that they believe if the things that they believed weren't in line with the desires of the system. Weren't in line with the desires of capital. It's rare to find those people who break through. I mean, what, what I find very funny about this book, by the way, there's an entire section where uh, Noam is talking about an example of this that has everything to do with Norm Finkelstein. <laughs> when Norm Finkelstein was a student and was writing (coughs) some stuff to um, was basically critiquing a book that had come out that talked about how the Palestinians were actually recent immigrants. So that spoiler alert, they didn't deserve to be there in Israel. Wink, wink. Uh, Norm Finkelstein started investigating it and found out it was completely bullshit and apparently emailed or at that time wrote a letter to Noam Chomsky saying, hey, I'm thinking about pursuing this line of uh, inquiry. Do you think it's a good idea? And Noam writes him back. Yeah, that's a great line of inquiry, but everyone's going to fucking hate you. Like they're going to go after you. And sure enough, it happened. And Norm Finkelstein has been Norm Finkelstein ever since, baby. <laughs> he's, he's a wild one. I do like him, though. Uh, also, if, if you guys did not see his interview on the Adam Friedland show, I know we're not talking about all consumption in media, but that's worth watching. <laughs> Hilarious. It's a comedy show. So, like, <laughs> they just thought it would be fucking funny to bring him in. And it was. They were absolutely right. Um, but let me talk to Andrew real quick, and then uh, we'll wrap this up, people. Andrew, what's going on, buddy? Welcome back to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. How you doing? Hey, what's up, bud? Same old, same old, man. You know it is. I appreciated that Capri Sun earlier, dude. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's, it's, I was uh, decided to keep harsh. it cold for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Capri Sun always does it. Honestly, right after this, no lie, I'm going to walk over to the grocery store, buy some Capri Suns, because I'm just sucking them down while watching the rest of the Celtics game, because that's what, that's what I'm going to do. Get, don't get exploded, though. You know you know that about Capri Sun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can. It could be so intense that you just fucking explode. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> Not only if you're not if you're not respectful, I was told as a young man, so I always made sure to poke the straw in nice and gentle. Exactly, yeah. And also, uh, Lysol has a very important question. Do you push through the top or the bottom? Neither. I blow air into the Capri Sun and blow it up, and then the water, the Capri Sun juice, goes through the, uh, the straw itself and into my mouth. That's the way to actually do it. You blow it up yep. like a fucking balloon. And then you let that shit come right back. It's that's the way it was made. Okay, you don't even have to blow. It's an automatic. It's a mother. <laughs> you need a diagram. It's an automatic, goddamn like. It it, it comes pre-installed with an automatic sipping device. Every Capri Sun bag, just blow it up and then put the straw into where the liquid is while you're doing it. Blow it up with the straw. It'll just come right in. You don't need to do shit. It's awesome. Excellent. I'll, I'll, we'll draw a dog. We'll, I'll draw a draw a diagram at some point for you, Lysol. But you'll yeah, dog a diagram. I'll draw a diagram. <laughs> I'll dog a diagram. <laughs> I'll draw a dog a dam. That's you're gonna dry dog the dam. 
That's all right, all right, I'm good, I'm good. Okay, okay. Back to manufacturing <laughs> consent, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was going to talk about two things uh, that kind of have the same – well, okay, one thing is just the basic, like, idea called propaganda of the deed. Um, mm. I don't really like to use that term all that much or even, like, think of my work that way because it seems, like, really <clears throat> kind of shallow. It's like, oh, I'm only doing this good thing for the propagandistic effect, which is not the core of why I do stuff. But I do think that the best response to um, fight against just all-encompassing propaganda, and we've talked about this before on like similar topics, is to do work that it, like as the public sees it, they will see it associated with people who, you know, if, if you want to, for instance, undo the anti-socialist, anti-communist water that we swim in everywhere. Uh, Do something that is just good community work that has a socialist um, element to it. And, you know, if somebody happens to ask you, hey, who are you guys? Why are you doing this cool stuff? Um, You say, well, partly because, you know, it's just good to do. And also we're socialists. This is the shit we believe in. Um, Yeah. It's so much harder to argue with like a physical concrete thing that somebody's doing um they, they'll still do it but you know like the the propaganda of the deed i feel like in the american mind is probably best known by uh the namesake for the room uh which is fred hampton and the black panthers yeah you know they they were like we're just going to straight up build socialist programs from the ground up and that's how we're going to bring people in. um and then the other thing i was going to talk about is almost like Um, It is still propaganda of the deed, but it's like anti-socialist propaganda of the deed. (laughs) I just recently learned more and more about the the German revolution that started in 1918. I kind of knew that it was a thing and I and I did also know without knowing details that like the Social Democratic Party kind of sold out the the revolution and actively stopped it. But when I learned more about it. Um, it seemed really it seemed really important for this conversation to bring it up because you had um, you know through some positive propaganda of the deed over the years for decades really socialists became very popular they were one of the largest parties the social democratic party was one of the largest parties in Germany it's still you know in the ruling coalition time and again in Germany and then when the the same sort of forces in Germany um, during World War One turned into a revolution. You had all these sailors and all these different farmers and industrial workers saying, um, you know, we're going to we're going to fire on our officers if they order us back into the war. We are done with this shit. And they actually succeeded in bringing down the Kaiser and the parliament. And the, mm-hmm. the country was very briefly governed by workers councils. Um, but there were, you know, people weren't all that really well educated on like the different socialist factions. They didn't really know when one socialist faction would say, um, make an argument. They didn't really have a a whole lot of track record. They didn't pay attention to who was who and what they were doing. Um, and so like they, they were, they were kind of thrown into disarray by these social democratic party factions that were saying if you're not working for unity then you're basically 
working for the downfall of the revolution, which was their way of kind of saying, you have to take us seriously in these workers' councils. And and they used that to rebuild a parliament with them inside of it and then put, you know, the Kaiser's people back in it. And it was really terrible. They they also infamously hired the Freikorps, which later became the Nazis, um, to violently put down anyone who disagreed. But like there I think that there was a there was a point where there was too much focus on like the newspapers and leaflets and things. Hmm. Um, and there was kind of a, a decrease in the focus over the previous years in like theater and food programs and stuff. I mean, there still were, but it seems like if there were a stronger organization that had been just saying like, look at what we're doing. Don't listen to these people who are just publishing stuff and talking like there's, it would have, it would have been such a stronger argument to say, um, what we're doing is backed up by our actions. So I've kind of droned on long enough. I, I just think over and over again, <clears throat> how much more effective it is to speak with, with what you're doing instead of um, like more media to fight directly, like oppose yeah. yourself to the corporate media. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, look, direct action and then associating those good deeds, the propaganda of the deed, as you say, uh, I do think is one of the most effective forms of direct action. Cause not only are you, uh, and, and one of the most effective ways to fight propaganda. Cause like you said, uh, people will associate the good thing. They'll look at the good thing that you're doing and see, Oh, I guess this is actually, is this what socialists actually are? Are people who are, uh, out here helping people or people who want people to have enough food on their tables. Uh, who are helping them organize, uh, uh, you know, unions, helping them organize uh, uh, just programs to uh, get them the resources that they need uh, to collectively bargain against power. Uh, those are all things that will directly affect the propaganda uh, that's going against them. And then you're also engaging in actual substantive direct action at the same time. So it's great. Yeah. I I just want to bring up one more example and then I, I don't think I have anything more to share is um, if I were to think of like the two people, maybe let's say three people in the United States that are the most associated with socialism as like they call themselves socialist. And so when people think of what is socialism, they think of what these three people do. They are mm -hmm. Bernie Sanders, AOC and Shama Sawant. And mm -hmm. that's a pretty bad ratio um, if you're yeah. Shama Sawant because two out of uh, three times, potentially, people who think socialism, like if they think, oh, Shamus wants a socialist, they're going to lump her in with Bernie Sanders and AOC, which is just awful. And so that's almost like the, the that's like the, the Sith Lord's propaganda of the deed type of thing going on there. And, uh, and I think there just has to be, there has to be a shift in our behavior. If, if we're going to say we're socialists and we want to, do X, Y, and Z for the working class. I feel like people who don't consider themselves socialists need to see like 10 to one examples of people who say they're socialists doing good community work instead of being the person like yelling at them on Twitter or, you know, AOC selling everybody out time and again. We have to, I think, overwhelm with numbers without even like speak. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that's right. I think that's right. I've got, I got none to add. It's sometimes 
someone just says some shit, it's just good. So, well, I wish I could banter more, but I, I think it, <laughs> I think it was still relevant. But I appreciate very relevant. That. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Always, always. I, I, I and I love. Uh, you always have a way of bringing in sort of real world um, acts into what can be what can become very academic conversations. So uh, I appreciate that too. So cool. Right next on. time I'm in Mexico, man, I'm gonna see you, dude. Yeah, I forgot how was come over there. Oh, dude, it was it was sick. We we didn't get to see the ruins, but we did do the cenotes, and that was oh yeah, yeah. that was cool. Dude, dude, <laughs> it was awesome, man. I, I look like a stupid fucking fish under there, though, man. Like <laughs> just trying to get under the caves and everything. It was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. Did Great. you see those birds that are um, that are in all the caves all the time? They're called motmots. I saw bats, dude. What are yeah, the caves a bunch of in? Bats. A ton of bats. Just you look up and like hundreds of bats, and we're just yeah. going swimming, and they're just they're just napping. Just yeah, sleeping, they're just hanging so. out. Yeah, they're just hanging out. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> There's these birds though that are called um, motmots, and they Mot-mot. have um, they have a pretty similar diet to the. And they also like live in caves or kind of cave-like things. So they they actually I saw some of them nesting, and then the bats like they weren't fighting or anything; they're just hanging out. And yeah, the, I saw a couple the of the ones these. that were there. Yeah. yeah, they they have really cool sounds first of all, but they also they're like really pretty bright, like iridescent feathers, and they have these two tail feathers that yeah. stick way down, and they don't even have like bristles for a while. So it's just like the stick, and then at the bottom there's like another medallion of feather bristles and they they'll like sit on a branch and watch you and they i swear they like to be looked at and they switch their tail back and forth and yeah like a like a clock kind of yeah it does look like a little pendulum that you can have yeah Yeah. that's awesome man yeah that's cool yeah i saw a couple of these and i was like oh those birds are so colorful it was great i didn't notice the tail though that's awesome yeah Yeah. next next times i'm likely to go to like you know, vacation type of spots would be like October or December. So if you just randomly can do another trip in there, um, we could definitely kick it on the beach. Yeah, for sure, man. Definitely kicking on the beach. Talk about socialism. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. yeah, Or we could just fucking surf or something. Yeah. Let's fuck (laughs) it. Let's just surf. Yeah. (laughs) While we're at the beach, maybe. Maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that sounds good, man. That sounds super good. Well, I appreciate the uh, the cenote uh, suggestion too, because uh, that was great. So, uh, right on, and and the call in. So, always appreciate you, Andrew. Yep. Talk to you later, bud. All right, homie. Peace. All right, y'all. That is uh, manufacturing consent. Thanks for coming, Tosin. Thanks for coming, y'all. Everyone else. I see Samantha down there. What up, Fahim Martin? I see y'all. Peter Java, I see everybody down there. It's, it's thank you so much for coming. Snoopy Derek, of course. And I feel like once you start saying names, you feel compelled to say every fucking name. Which is I mean, every name is worth saying, but you know, it's like you know who you are if you're here, and everyone who's coming later to listen. I appreciate you too. But that's look, that's the episode. Uh next time in this series, we're gonna talk about more about uh sort of how practically do you go about analyzing sources and how basically going through the exercise of how do you start to put together a better way of, of of figuring out what's true and what's false here. 
How do you how do you do that using this propaganda model? Uh, we did a little bit of an example with that today with the the article about um, the uh, F-16s to Russia and the crucial questions, right? When the crucial questions did not involve anything about, is this going to lead to World War III? Wild. Or, hey, why did the U.S. flip its stance on giving Ukraine F-16s? How did that happen? Um, but we'll do more of that next time. Um, for now, uh, keep rolling that rock up the hill, people. Keep it going. Let's let's see how far we can keep this human experiment going. And uh, uh, I think the Heat are going to sweep the Celtics tonight. That's going to happen. <laughs> Jimmy Butler, baby. All right, y'all. Uh, y'all have a good night. Uh, take care.